is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsev. It is Saturday, Saturday morning. Little delay. Uh, sorry, we couldn't get the Friday show, but uh, with everything going on and with the weekend being the way it was, I, I saw an opportunity to, to push this episode to the weekend. Um, obviously, there's a busy Saturday night in MLS. Uh, luckily, there's not the full slate of European soccer, which is coming starting next week. Premier League and Bundesliga on the way. But we have plenty to talk about. Americans abroad moves. We can even talk a little U.S. men's national team. And MLS. Tons of storylines in MLS. Not even talking about the, the weekend action. We've got the transfer window closing. Secondary transfer window for MLS and teams are are rushing to spend their money, rushing to get their reinforcements signed. And, uh, you know, there's some teams that have made some pretty good power moves. Even some addition by subtraction. At least in one team's regard with a parting of ways with the general manager. We'll get into that. First things first, Americans abroad. And we've started to see the transfers after the Gold Cup. And you knew there were going to be transfers. You knew there were going to be players making moves after the Gold Cup and the way the Gold Cup went. Even before the Gold Cup, there were already some some moves that were in the works being lined up. And as soon as the Gold Cup ended, we started to see some of those moves be finalized and be announced. And the first two are two that we've heard about for a while that had been reported for weeks. Gianluca Busio is headed to Venezia. As reported by Reggie Cannon in the post-game lock celebration locker room of the Gold Cup final. I don't know if you missed it, but it was pretty funny. Uh, Reggie Cannon was on his, I think he was on his IG Live, and he was recording, and he was behind Busio, and he kept yelling, Venezia, Venezia, and Busio. You could tell Busio was like, yo, cut it out. Shh, you're blowing up my spot. But uh, let's face it, we all knew already. We already knew. As much as Busio was trying to be low-key about it, it was already a done deal. It was it was pretty much settled for weeks. And I had mentioned, I still, I can't, I wonder how many weeks ago it was when I first mentioned it on SBI about the possibility of Venezia scooping up both Busio and Tanner Tessman. And now they've done that. They've, they've picked up two Americans and they reportedly could pick up a third with Eric Palmer Brown being linked to the club. And as far as Busio to Venezia goes, I, I mean, I think it's a great move for him. I think Serie A is a good league for him to continue to develop. He's going to have to fight for playing time, but if he can get on the field at this point in his career, at at his age, it's a good league to develop. It's a good league to really kind of sharpen the tools that he clearly has. His passing ability, you can't can't dispute it. His vision, his his kind of read for the game. Could he get a little stronger? Yes. Does he need to toughen up a little bit? Yes. But guess what? Serie has a good league to do that. And he already, look, when you play for Peter Vermees, I mean, if you, if you want to play for a coach who's going to help you get tougher, he, he helped Busio get tough. He helped him, he helped tough, toughen up Busio, to be clear. When Busio first kind of, when he first turned pro, he was very much a kind of flashier attack-minded midfielder. He didn't really have bite. He really didn't have that kind of work rate, the defensive kind of understanding of the game. Clearly, it was lacking. But he put his time in with Vermees, and, and this year especially, he got the run of games, and, and you saw his, him evolve, and you saw him really kind of round out his game. And that's why, I, you know, honestly, I think it's a perfect, now it's a perfect opportunity. Could he have stayed another year in MLS and gotten a whole other season under his belt? Sure. But I think he's ready now. 
I think he's ready now to go to Italy, compete for time. It's not look. He's not going to step into. I don't think he's going to step right into the starting lineup. I mean, I think that's obviously ideal. That'd be the dream if you're if you're Busio, but he's going to have to fight. But I think he's closer than some people realize. And look, the goal, the Gold Cup. You know, it, it definitely exposed some things. Definitely showed that he does still need to work on a few things. But the he, the quality's there, and I, I think. You know, depending on how uh, Venezia as a team comes together and what role specifically he's asked to play, depending on that, I think it'll, that's what's ultimately going to determine if he has a successful transition and good first season. Now, obviously, you know, it, with World Cup qualifying just a month away, less than a month now, now it's, we're talking three weeks now, he doesn't have much time to fight for a starting job, get in the starting lineup, put some games together and show Berhalter, hey, I'm ready. Bring me in, bring me to El Salvador, bring me to Nashville to go against Canada again. So I, you know, I, it's I don't know if he's necessary. Look, he should still be part of the qualifying team just because I think Berhalter is going to bring a, a larger than normal group when you talk about three qualifiers in that window. So normally you'd get a twenty-two player roster, 21, 22, 23. This time I think you're going to see like thirty. I think you're going to see thirty players and. You're gonna see more rotation. You're gonna see more. You're not. Gonna, you're not gonna see the same starters for all three games, obviously. But I think, in theory, when you look at the way the games lay out, you look at the opponents. I can definitely see Berhalter starting the same or close to the same lineup for the first two games, and then with the third game in Honduras, he could go with with some changes. And I know you might say, wait a minute, you're really going to make some changes for a road qualifier down in Honduras where the U.S. has lost games before? Sure about that. Is that the best idea? Well, if you look at the opponents, you look at the competition, you're talking Canada at home. And what can you not do in World Cup qualifying? You cannot drop points at home. So as much as you want to go to Honduras and, and you know try to get a result on the road, and that's, that's great too, defending the home points is the biggest thing, especially against a team like Honduras. I mean, uh, against a team like Canada. Because you know they're good. I'm picking Canada to be the third place team in the in the region in the in the octagonal. I'm gonna go USA, Mexico, and Canada. No disrespect to Costa Rica. No disrespect to Jamaica. I think it's I think it's Canada. And for that reason, if you're Berhalter, I think you go best possible lineup against El Salvador because you want to get a good start. You want to first try to get that win in that first game. And you also know El Salvador is gonna be tough. They showed in the Gold Cup against Mexico. And before that, in the group stage, they showed what they can do. And they showed that, that Hugo Perez is, is doing some things with that group. They're not going to be a pushover. So if you get those three in El Salvador, then you go to Nashville, you play Canada. You don't want Canada having momentum right off the bat, right? You want you want to make sure, you know, you kind of want to keep try to keep Canada behind you. That means you got to win at home. So we'll see. I, I've kind of gone a little tangent here. We were talking about Busio, but again, Busio should be part of the World Cup qualifying setup. What kind of role he has, that remains to be seen. But as I said... There's going to be rotation. There is going to be the opportunity there to get games or to get minutes. And Busio's right there. But he's got to get on the field of Venezia pretty quickly. And that's going to be a tricky one because it's, you know, it's not going to be easy to just show up. I mean, he went this weekend, uh, as far as I know. He he traveled to Italy this weekend. So he's obviously behind uh, the, the rest of the team in terms of the, the in terms of the team having already been going through their preseason. But he's a talented player. And this is just the first step for him getting over there, establishing himself. But he's the real deal. He's a talent. And for anyone who didn't know if he was a talent, I think he showed some things. I think he clearly showed some things at the Gold Cup for, for anyone who maybe 
had doesn't follow MLS and doesn't didn't realize that the guy you know the kid was having an unbelievable season. The other American to make the move this past this past few days after the Gold Cup, I don't even know if the champagne had dried off of his clothes. Sam Vines, Sam Vines is heading to Royal Antwerp in Belgium, and a player who I thought had a good Gold Cup, a player who I think has definitely improved his stock when you talk about the left back position in the national team setup. Now he goes to Belgium, which is a very solid league. Antwerp's solid team. It's a good move for him. He was at the Rapids and the Rapids they Robin Frazier and the Rapids have done a really good job in terms of developing the players that they that they're developing and helping players find their top form like Kellen Acosta. So let's see if Vines can continue to develop and left back as we know is a uh, is still kind of an unsettled position. You have Anthony Robinson, who as who for now is with Fulham in the league championship after they were relegated, and there have been plenty of rumors linking Robinson to transfers away. But as of right now, with the season about to begin in England, he's still there. But Vines, is, if you want to talk about left backs, Vines is right there in that conversation now. Like, who are the top four or five left back options? He's right in there. And there's some others that are still further down the pipeline who could catch up quickly like a Kobe Hernandez Foster, who no one's talking about right now, but who is training with, he's with Wolfsburg. He's training there. You want to see what they do with him in terms of loaning him or if they keep him with the team. Obviously, Anthony Robinson. And then, of course, Serginho Dest, who, as much as he's a right back, naturally, when you look at all the right back options that, that Greg Berhalter has, I mean, at a certain point, you won't, you can't blame Berhalter if he finally says, you know what, look, Dest, Serginho, you're playing left back now. We got a, we have we have a dozen right backs. Let's just keep you a left back. So that that's that's a, definitely a position that that bears watching. And vines how he develops in Belgium is gonna you definitely gonna want to keep track of that. Now another American who is reportedly on the verge of moving and a, a player who we all should have expected to be making a move this summer is Josh Sargent. And according to multiple reports, Norwich City is in the frame and Norwich City is is trying to to land him away from Werder Bremen. And it's an interesting one because obviously they just went up. You don't really fancy Norwood City to stay up. So Sargent goes from Werder Bremen battling in the relegation zone for multiple seasons to joining Norwood City battling in the, in the relegation zone for multiple seasons. So that it's a tricky one, right? And obviously Sargent had been linked to teams in the Bundesliga. Bayer Leverkusen was was one that, that most recently was he was linked to. But I think it comes down to what are teams willing to pay for Josh Sargent? And Werder Bremen, you know they were looking for that payday. Uh, according to reports, they, they were looking for $10 million. And if you're Leverkusen, are you paying $10 million when you don't necessarily see Sargent as a starter? That's kind of the question there. I mean, it's not the money. They have the money. They just sold Leon Bailey. So cash is not a problem for Leverkusen. But are they paying $10 million? Are they paying eight figures for what would be for them a backup strike? And does that mean Sargent's going to go start at Norwich City? No, that, that doesn't mean that either. But if you're going, if you're going talking about the Premier League, it's a whole different level, uh, great opportunity, the most high-profile league in the world. I mean, you can yeah, you, you can call it the best league in the world. I know there's still people fight that. Some leagues, well, now with the way La Liga's going, I don't know if you can even talk about La Liga anymore. But Bundesliga, you know, they'll they'll, they'll state their case, but. It's not a stretch to say that the, that the Premier League is the best league in the world. So if you're Sargent, you, you want to be on that stage. You want to be in that Premier League stage. So, you know, I, I think if, if, if it's up to him, I got to believe he's going to want to go there. 
and, and try to get minutes there. And it's interesting because Norwich City already has an American striker on the books. They have Sebastian Soto. And he's on loan with Porto B in in Portugal. So you have to wonder what his future status is with Norwood City. And, I mean, at this point, look, Porto, Porto B, you know they're not taking Soto on loan without a, a purchase option. So if Soto, if he does what he needs to do and he plays well in Portugal with Porto B, he's probably going to get sold or he's probably going to get bought by Porto, which isn't a bad thing in itself, right? But anyone who was kind of hoping to see Soto break in with Norwood City, it's not looking good right now. But I guess the consolation is that it could be another American who takes advantage of that. And it's I got to say, it's interesting hearing some of the questions and uh, criticisms, skepticism about Sargent, about how he's kind of the unfinished product. He's not really proven. He's not really he hasn't shown it. And honestly, when I hear it and I read some of this stuff, I can definitely tell it's people who don't watch him play regularly. Who pretty much what they know about Sargent is whatever he's done with the U.S. team. And obviously, you know, Werder Bremen had a horrible season. But for anyone who watched, and I feel like I'm repeating myself on this. I, I might if I, I might have just gone on the same tangent in a recent episode, but Sargent is, is really improved as a player. And I think I did say this, unless I just said this to someone else in random conversations. But Josh Sargent, this past season, I feel like really, really rounded out his game in terms of the hold-up play, in terms of the defensive work, the movement. He saw plenty of time playing wide, actually. And now, even to start the season for Bremen, they, they've been using him out wide. And uh, he's, his future is not as a wide player, but he can he can move in, into different spots. He's not he's not someone that is just you know just a singular positional player. Like he can only function in one area of the field. I think he's I think he's his game is more versatile now than it was. So I think he's actually a better player than he was a year ago, even though it was a nightmare season for the team he played for. And I have to think that's what, you know, Norwood City, if they're looking at, if they've really thoroughly scouted them, and look, when you're spending money, when you're a team that just got promoted and you're talking about spending 10, 11 million, you're going to do some real serious homework there. And if they did serious homework on Sargent and, and did their research on him, they will see his game has improved. His hold-up play has improved. His pressing has improved. His passing has improved. His runs have improved. The finishing, he has to, you know, he's a good finisher. Is Could it be better? Could it have been better with the national team more recently? Sure. But I like his all-around game, and that's why I still say, for me, he's still the number one striker for the U.S. Of course, if he goes to Norwood City, he's got to get on the field because if you're not playing enough, if he's not playing enough, if he's not getting regular minutes in this month leading up to World Cup qualifying, it's going to be all all that much easier for for Greg Berhalter to say, you know what, I got Jossie Zardes. He's playing every week. He's playing well. You saw Zardes return to the Columbus Crew, and uh, even though they lost uh, the game last week, he he made things happen. And you already you can see he's just he's he's in a good run of form, and that's what you want to continue to see. So if so he if he if Sargent isn't playing, wherever he ends up going, whether it's Norwood City, Leverkusen, stays at Bremen. I mean, if he stays at Bremen, I think it's fair to say he's going to play. He's going to be a starter for them. Wherever he is, he needs to... Like all these players, as I mentioned with Busio, you need to be playing in this month in the run-up just because right now Greg Berhalter has enough options that he doesn't have to bring players who are not playing. Goalkeeper, you know, that's a little different story, I think, you know, the whole with the whole Zach Steffen situation. But field players, he has options at every position where he can go and turn to a player who is playing. So that's going to be 
the striker position continues to be one to watch. And Sargent, let's see where he ends up. Because if you know he goes to England, I think that's an interesting move for him. I think it's a good move for him, and I think he's going to surprise some people who still kind of have their doubts about him as a striker. Now, in some uh, another Gold Cup winner who potentially could be on the move and who has definitely been the subject of uh, interest from teams uh, outside of the of the United States is Sebastian Lejet. And I reported this past week on SBI that teams from Mexico and the Middle East have expressed interest in Lejet. And I know some people will see that and think, wait a minute, why would he leave the Galaxy to go to Mexico? Uh, or why would he leave the Galaxy to go to the Middle East? Well, I think it's pretty clear. If he's going to the Middle East, he's going to get paid. He's going for a big payday. And right now, he's making close to a million with the Galaxy, so it's not like he's going poor or going broke. But we know the the Qatari clubs, the Saudi Arabian clubs, they're going to pay. They're going to double his money. Double, triple. They're going to make it worth his while to go there. And obviously, you know, it's funny because they the U.S. played Qatar in the semifinals. They beat Qatar. And it was a tough game. Legit, I thought I had a good game in that in that match. So obviously, if, if you had teams from Qatar, teams from Saudi Arabia watching that Gold Cup, watching the Qatar t- team, then you got to understand them seeing Legit play and say, hey, this guy's good. Good player, good looking guy. Wait a minute, what? His girlfriend's a superstar? Oh, wait. It takes so many boxes here. He's American. Let's get this guy. Let's sign this guy. Who's he play for? The Galaxy? Ooh. Zlatan's old club. So, you know, you can understand why some Middle Eastern clubs would be interested in Lejet. And the question is going to be, does Lejet want to leave? Does Lejet want to leave his current situation and go go look for that payday? Which would, could, to be fair, he's, what is he, 28, 29? This could be your last big payday. And as far as Mexico goes, my understanding is that at least one of the teams that are interested is a big team in Mexico. And I haven't, I don't have the name of the team, but my understanding is that it's one of those very, you know, the bigger teams. So you're talking a team like a Club America or Monterey, and I'm not saying those are the teams, but it's a team in that level. And it would have to be a team in that level, just in terms of who could afford Lejet, who could afford to pay the Galaxy a transfer fee and afford to pay Lejet more than he makes now. And right now he makes close to a million dollars. So. If I'm legit, I'm not leaving L.A. to go to Mexico unless you're doubling my money. So who can do that? Teams like Club America, Monterrey. That's pretty much it, really. I mean, okay, maybe you know, maybe some other teams have some money too. But I think those are the two that I think make the most sense. And if I was legit, I would I would totally be interested in going to a Club America or a Monterrey. Absolutely. So. That one will bear watching for sure, and and the galaxy obviously they you know he's a big part of what he's a big part of the galaxy setup. But the galaxy's been making a lot of moves; they've been adding a lot of pieces. They do have Efrain Alvarez, who's continuing to develop, so they they could afford to sell him. So we'll see if they do. In terms of the teams in MLS that that have quite a few players. Uh, Drawing interest now, uh, the New England Revolution have have at least three players right now, and they're they're they have the best record in the league. And we all know about Matt Turner. Matt Turner coming off the, the outstanding Gold Cup that he had, Golden Glove winner. A lot of people think he he was the player of the tournament, but uh, a player who I reported as had now generating interest from the Bundesliga, among other among other leagues, is Dewan Jones. And for those who don't follow MLS and don't know much about 
New England or or never heard of Dewan Jones. He's a he's a very speedy left back, converted midfielder. He he came into the league as a forward slash winger. And Bruce Arena doing what Bruce Arena does, working his magic, converting someone into a fullback again. And usually Bruce Arena, when he does that, he he it's successful. And Dewan Jones, even though he's right footed, has really settled in and become a very very good left back in MLS. And for and he's shown it in his play, and for that reason, scouts have have, have noticed. And now you have multiple teams in the Bundesliga interested. And my understanding is there's also teams in Belgium and Greece that are interested. So the question is, how much is New England going to be looking for in a transfer? And what are teams willing to pay? And obviously more and more, the MLS player is generating bigger and bigger transfers just because there's the the stigma that it, there used to be a stigma. There used to be a stigma about, okay, can how good are these MLS players? Are they worth the money? And I think I think over time now, you as there have been more transfers and there have been more successes, I think you're now seeing teams be more willing to spend. So someone like Dewan Jones, who has never been called up by the national team, never been part of of the of the U.S. setup, still gets interest because just because of his MLS play, and that says a lot about how far the league has gone has come. So we'll see if New England actually sells because. Uh, they have another player who they could and reportedly are close to selling, and that's Tay John Buchanan, the Canadian. You have reports saying that uh, he could be sold, and we're talking, we're hearing like six, seven million. If you're New England and you can sell Tay John Buchanan for seven million, all of a sudden you're not really in a rush to sell a Dewan Jones for you know whatever one million, two million, three million, probably not three million, but two million. So that so that one that one keep an eye on that one because the the Buchanan one makes plenty of sense right because right now teams are looking at it and really like Buchanan he had a great Gold Cup he stepped up in some big games and put on some big performances and right now if you're asking European clubs you know if, if European clubs are going to go a little crazy when they see a f- speedy Canadian winger at MLS because they're going to get the Alfonso Davies flashbacks. And again, no one is saying that Tejan Buchanan is Alfonso Davies, but you know European clubs are desperate to find the next Alfonso Davies. So Tejan Buchanan is going to draw interest. And he's going to, you know, you're going to get a pretty good fee. Probably You're probably going to see a team overpay for Tejan Buchanan if we're being completely honest. And I know New England is not going to mind that by any means. But you do have to wonder... How that will impact what they do and with the, what they do with these other players. When you talk about a Matt Turner, and you talk about a Dewan Jones, and to be completely honest, if if the reports are true as far as Buchanan and you know they're potentially being a transfer for Buchanan that keeps him with the team for the season, all of a sudden you're talking about New England not only securing the bag on Buchanan. But then really being able to say, listen, we can make a run at MLS Cup. We can win an MLS Cup this year. Why would we sell anybody now? Why would we sell anybody in the summer? So, honestly, I really think this New England team, if, if you're Bruce Arena, you're going to do everything you can to keep this team together and tell your guys, listen, I know, you, you, you know you, there's interest. I know you have these chances to move. But just stick with us this season. 
Stick with us this season. Let's win this MLS Cup, win the first MLS Cup in the team history, and then talk in January. And then January, there's still going to be interest. There's still going to be teams looking. So honestly, I think Turner, I think Matt Turner, I don't see Matt Turner moving until 2022, until either the January transfer window or next summer. I just don't really see him leaving now. As much as right now he's great and playing great and had an amazing Gold Cup, and I'm sure there's interest now, and I'm sure there's clubs inquiring. He has a European passport. So he really just ticks all the boxes that for teams scouting and looking for a goalkeeper. But New England is going to have to strike that balance between do we hold on to these guys and win this MLS Cup, or do we let them go? And I think they're going to they're gonna do everything they can to keep these guys. And to be clear, this isn't necessarily the same thing as we saw in years past when New England was just unreasonable with players in terms of letting players go or, or selling players. New England had the most notorious reputation in MLS for years for not being willing to sell players and not re- not being re- not being willing to budge on player move movement. That's not the vibe you get at all nowadays. With New England, even though it's not like they're selling players players left and right, but you know, you know, Bruce Arena knows knows how to play the game, and he understands that. You know what? At a certain point, when the price is right, you got to sell. And if they can get Buchanan and sell Buchanan, but keep him for the rest of this season, MLS Cup is in sight for this team. New England is an MLS Cup absolute MLS Cup contender. They've got all the pieces to win MLS Cup this year. So we'll see. We'll see if they can keep it together. Now, there's other Americans, obviously, that are that are in in play for potential moves. And uh, there's a trio of center backs, starting with Chris Richards. And Chris Richards, obviously, he's he's on the books at Bayern. He's at Bayern. The, you know, he's been in preseason with them. You kind of wonder where what Nagelsmann, Julian Nagelsmann, who's the manager there now. How does he see him? Is he really in his? Right now, does he picture Richards being as one of his top three or top four center backs and keeping him with the first team, or do they sell him? I don't think they're going to loan him again. I think at this point, you get you take your payday with him, or you keep him and have him be part of the first team. And as we know, Bayern ha- had a big shakeup in terms of their defense with uh, David Alla believing, Javi Martinez, Jerome Boateng. They bring in Dio Pamacano. They have Nicholas Sule still. And Richards is there. so And obviously there's teams, more and more teams are interested in Chris Richards. The most recent link it has Leicester City interested in Chris Richards. We know Hoffenheim wants to bring him back. That's one. That's one option for sure. It, it, in that case, it really comes down to what the transfer fee would be, what Hoffenheim's willing to pay, because they're not doing another loan. Pay up. You can't borrow anymore. You have to buy it. <laughs> That's pretty much You have to buy Chris Richards. You can't have him on loan again. But Leicester City is an interesting one. Leicester City is a very good team. And again, playing in, a, in the Premier League. And you know if Chris Richard is... It's funny because Chris Richard is, has been linked to so many teams in recent years. Like I mean, Arsenal, he's been linked to Arsenal. Now, Leicester City, you're talking about a situation where Wesley Fofana, their, their super talented young French center back, has been injured. Uh, apparently broken leg. Uh, in a friendly against Villarreal, and you know they need a center back. <laughs> so if if Fofana's, if you're talking about Fofana being gone long, for a long time, and it's looking like he will be, all of a sudden they need someone like Fofana. They need they need an athletic young center back who has the wheels, who has the speed, who is technical, 
And guess what? Chris Richards ticks those boxes. So it kind of makes sense as a, as a link, right? So we'll see if, uh, if Chris Richards makes that. He's going to make, I think, I don't see him staying in Bayern as much as everyone would love to see him stay at Bayern and kind of earn his starting place there, break through, beat out uh, Sule, and be starting next to Upamecano. I think I've mentioned that before, actually, that seeing, you know, Richard Zupamacano, we're going to see that as the center back tandem. But, and again, another American player who, if you're talking World Cup qualifying in a month, is he going to be getting games? Where's he going to end up transfer wise? So that's a big one to watch. Another one, another two, Matt Miazga and Eric Palmer Brown. Two players who are on, you know, their, their club situations, they're, they're with two big teams who are looking to unload players. Matt Miazga, as of Saturday, is still technically on the books at Chelsea, even though he's on a list of players who reportedly will be let go. Eric Palmer Brown on the books at Manchester City. Again, potentially another player who could be allowed to move on. And both and that's two players who are absolutely in the in the pool when you talk about center back. And uh, you know, you want to see where they wind up. And they're both two very talented center backs, but they they need to go somewhere and start playing games. And obviously, they both had loan situations last year that worked out. Matt Miazga at Anderlecht and Eric Palmer Brown playing in Austria. They both got a good good amount of playing time to keep, continue their their development, but they need to leave these clubs. Chelsea's not happening for Miazga. City's not happening for Palmer Brown. It's time to go. Time to move on. Time to find your next permanent situation so you stop going through this loan cycle. Because the loan cycle thing, it kind of it's okay at a certain point, but after a while, it just it's just not helping you. Same with Cameron Carter-Vickers. He's another player on this list in terms of American center backs who, you know, have the talent to be in the conversation for the first team but need to sort out their club situations. So I think the next this next week is going to be a real big one for all three of those guys, for Miazga, Palmer Brown, and Carter-Vickers. Players who, by the way, could have very easily been part of the Gold Cup setup if not for their unsettled club situations. And what happens? They don't go to the Gold Cup. Miles Robinson, James Sands go to the Gold Cup, and now both those guys have skyrocketed in terms of their position in the player pool. Miles Robinson is a, is right now going to start. For my money, he's starting against El Salvador. And I, and I really don't know what will change that in these next three weeks in terms of, you know, obviously Robinson, if he's healthy. But I don't know if Chris Richards is going to be able to close that gap in these next three weeks. I don't know if Mark McKenzie is going to be able to reestablish himself and re, you know, move back past Miles Robinson. So, you know, it's not even about September for these guys, for Miazga, Richards, and Palmer Brown, but it, well, Richards, you know, he, I think he's closer to the, to the first team setup right now than, than Miazga, Palmer Brown, and Carter Vickers. But if any of those guys, especially Palmer Brown and, and Carter Vickers, but Miazga as well, I think Miazga has slipped. Miazga has absolutely slipped behind Miles Robinson. He has slipped behind Mark McKenzie, obviously. He's slipped behind Chris Richards. And he slipped, for me, he slipped behind James Sands right now. So Miazga's next move is very, very huge. See where he winds up. And if Palmer Brown and Carter Vickers want to be in the picture, they need to, to sort out very settled and solid moves in the next couple weeks. So enough about Americans abroad and transfer possibilities. Let's talk about playing and actual games. Uh, as I speak right now, uh, it's, we're probably a few hours away from Zach Steffen starting in the Community Shield for Manchester City against Leicester City. And uh, again, 
Obviously, there's a lot of talk about Matt Turner and the Gold Cup he had. Is he the number one now? Should he be the number one? Especially if Stefan doesn't isn't playing. So look, it's a this is a big opportunity for Stefan to get a game and to be starting to get to start in 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 what is a high profile game, the Community Shield. Obviously, it's a kind of a glorified friendly in a way, but still, good game for him. Good chance for him to get a game. And Ederson is just returning from, from vacation from Copa America. And you kind of wonder, is is Ederson going to get ready in a week to start the season opener? Or do we potentially get to see Zach Steffen start the season opener? I, that, I'm curious to see that, actually. Ederson is the best, one of the best, if not the best goalkeeper in the world. So we know Zach Steffen's dealing with a, a tough situation in terms of being able to find minutes. That hasn't changed. But I think what's changed now is people saying, well, is Matt, should Matt Turner be the guy now? Because he plays. And I, I've been on record. I've said this. I think I was on the show with uh, Tony Miola and Brian Dunseth on Sirius. And I think I might have mentioned that. Like, for me, Stefan's still the guy. He's still the guy. He still will be the guy. But, however, uh, when you think about three qualifiers in September, I can absolutely see Greg Berhalter saying, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, Give Matt Turner one of those. And that that's that's I'm curious to see that, right? Because you know what? As much as yes, you wanna if you if if you're Berhalter and you believe Stefan's your guy, you want to give him all the games. Help him get sharp. You believe in him, you believe he's your top guy, but Matt Turner has shown that he you can you can count on him. He can step up in the big spot. He did it over and over and over in the Gold Cup. So I think he gets it I think he gets at least one game. And I think Stefan gets two games in, in the September qualifiers. Another player uh, playing set to play this weekend is Conrad De La Fuente and Marseille. He's set to make his Ligue 1 debut with Marseille. They start their, their season this weekend. The, the Ligue 1 season begins. And you definitely want to see how De La Fuente does. If he's, gonna, if he's earning himself a starting role, if he's going to get starting, starting minutes, is he going to position himself now to be a real force, a real factor, a real option? For the in terms of the U.S. wingers and that and right, Berhalter needs wingers. He needs more wing options. He needs more natural wing options, just for depth purposes. Because you're not like overflowing with wingers. Even though, and when you talk about your first choice right now, the first choice right now is Christian Pulisic, Giorena. Pretty damn good. That's like your two best players among your two best players in those spots. However, you can and you know you can move one of them. Inside one of them into a central role, you almost kind of would love to do that, especially with the G Arena. But in order to do that, you need to have wide player, wide players who you believe are elite enough to plug into that lineup. And another player that's in France, Tim Weah, he's another one. He's another one that's going to factor in that, and he he also starts his his campaign with Lille, the reigning league champions, start their title defense this weekend. And Tim Weah, you want to see if he continues to play a prominent role on that team. I tell you what, France. All of a sudden, you, you want you want to start watching the French league a little more because you have two Americans there, and it's enough for Americans abroad. Uh, up next is the U.S. men's national team, and I kind of have that as the category to discuss next. But the kind of question is, what do we want to talk about? And I think a lot of people want to get into what the roster will look like for World Cup qualifying, and that's definitely something to talk about. And I am going to save that for the next episode. That's going to absolutely be topic of discussion in the coming in this next week this uh, this upcoming week's episodes today i don't want to dig into that too much just because 
I mean, for one, I've kind of touched on it a little bit already with striker, with goalkeeper, even a little bit with winger. So I've kind of like indirectly already discussed it to some degree. But we'll get it. We'll dig into it big time next episode. I'll really get into it. Uh, I'm gonna. I am going to write a piece for SBI, kind of breaking down who I see right now being the 30 man roster. So keep an eye out for that for sure. But as far as the U.S. men goes, obviously they're they're basking in the glory, basking in the glow of winning the Gold Cup. And we've we've all seen kind of the you've seen the video the video clips and bits from their celebration. You see you saw them they were out at Dre's in uh, in Vegas. They were at the club with the trophy. And I know some folks are hoping to see footage of them at one of one of the you know Spearmint Rhino or one of the strip clubs in Vegas. But no, they kept it clean. They got they got a couple of teenagers, a couple of young players on that team. So you, I don't know if you wanted that happening, but uh, it was cool to see. It was good to see that they enjoyed it and they celebrated it. And it really, with all the behind-the-scenes footage from the Gold Cup, it, it it was pretty clear to see how close, closely knit that group was and how that group has really come together. And you love seeing that. You love to see that. I mean, guys like Giacchini and Hoppy, DK, all those guys. I mean, they, they just really, there's a bond there. You see Busio and uh, Bello, the boys now. Bello, another player who, by the way, could absolutely be heading to Europe. He's been linked to Galatasaray again. According to reports by Reggie Cannon from the IG Live in the locker room, Galatasaray is an option. And we'll see. We'll see if Bello makes a move. But, uh, you know, Be- Bello definitely enjoyed himself in the in the celebration videos that we saw. And right now, Mexican fans are kind of like, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. It's interesting seeing the range of reactions among Mexican fans. Because on one hand, you have reasonable Mexican fans. Who who has see it for the pers- in the right perspective that look hey, the U.S. just won, Mexico's just got to get together, got to get better. But then you have others who are already coming with the excuses. Oh, you know we had guys at the Olympics, and it, 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 you know it was going to happen. And by the way, congratulations to Mexico on winning a bronze medal in the Olympics. As I said several episodes ago, at the start of the Olympics, I I said Mexico, I like Mexico to win a medal, and I laid out why, just because. When it came down to it, not a lot of teams were able to bring anything close to full-strength squads to the Olympics. Some top teams were left scrambling. And a team like Mexico that has its group that's been together was always going to have a chance to do well. And it still came down to them beating Japan in the, in the, in the bronze medal game, a team that had beaten them in the group stage. So credit to them. You got to give them their props. But... Are we seriously sitting here and are people seriously trying to say that the Mexican Olympic team would have beaten the U.S. Gold Cup team? I saw that. Someone, uh, I think Hercules Gomez uh, retweeted. I think it was actually his his co-host uh, on on one of the shows that he's on in. Uh, I'm blanking right now on the name of the show, but the show that he has in, in Spanish with uh, Mauricio Pedrosa. And he he's the one who said he's like, you know, th- I don't know if it's trolling. I don't know what, but how, how how they could honestly think that's hilarious to me because these Olympics were basically were as we know the Olympics are a U twenty three tournament. There's some overage players, but it's je- it's je- basically a youth tournament. The only teams who really brought like quality players were Brazil and Spain. Really, Brazil, like more specifically, Brazil brought the most talent to the. Olympics and they won it. They've won the gold medal. That game ended actually as I'm recording this. But that Mexican team, the team that won the bronze, is basically a U23 team. 
with Ochoa, with Henry Martin, but basically a, a, a youth team. And in no, in, no, in, in no scenario would they beat the U.S. Gold Cup team. Because if you say that, then you're basically saying that your U23 team is better than most of your first choice Mexican team. Let's remember now, Mexico started seven starters from the Nations League final in the Gold Cup final. If you're if if a player starts in two finals in the same summer, he is a first he's your first choice option. So right there, seven. You had seven and the goalkeeper who started, Talavera, started the 2011 Gold Cup final. So he's not he's not, you know, he's not he's not a stiff. He's not a just he's not a nobody. So that was a very good team. It was a very good Mexico team. The U.S. beat that team, period. Don't make excuses. Don't come with the, try to make it seem like this Mexican team is all, is this like the Mexican Olympic team is all special because they won a bronze. They they won a bronze in a tournament where there were two good teams in it. And they only, and they only, they only played one of those teams and they lost Brazil. So it is what it is. I don't, I'm not here to crap on, on Mexico because I like that Mexican Olympic team. That Mexican Olympic team, fun to watch. They play together. You can tell there's a connection in that group. And we saw it in Olympic qualifying. And, and I, you could tell then that there was a connection there, that they, they could do well in the Olympics, especially given what other teams had at their disposal. But listen, we all know if France had their regular 20, U23s, they would have destroyed Mexico. If Germany had their U23s, they would have destroyed Mexico. And if the U.S. had their U23s in Olympic qualifying, they would have destroyed Mexico. Just facts. This is, I mean, obviously it's not a fact because it's, we can't prove it, but I mean, you just have to look at the talent. You just have to look at the players. So, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think all Mexican fans are being unreasonable and, and being uh, delusional in terms of turning this bronze medal into some sense that, oh, great times ahead because of this bronze medal. Settle down, folks. Mexico won a gold medal once. What'd that do? What did that do for Mexico? Let's just remember now. I mean, it's still great, right? It's great to win a medal. It means something. It obviously meant something to the Mexican players. They celebrated it. Great. The fans, like, it, enjoy it. I'm not saying don't enjoy it. I'm not saying it means nothing. It does mean something. But there's a line between enjoying, appreciating, un- and, 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 you know, understanding it means something. And then, and then going overboard and trying to turn it into, into some sign of, of something that it's absolutely not. It's not. That bronze medal does not mean all of a sudden that, yes, Mexico is overflowing and teeming with U23 talent that's going to take them into the elite status of the rest of the world. That ain't it. That is not it. Because this is this is going to be the real test now. Let's see this month, and let's see in the next coming days and weeks, how many of those Olympic players make transfers? How many clubs step up and say, you know what, we saw these guys in the Olympics, we want to buy. And I know the excuses will be, well, Mexican teams don't sell. They hold on to their players. All well and good. But if if the interest is there, the price will be right and you sell. But that's going to be the true test of this whole Olympic thing. And I'm telling you, it's not going to be a lot. You're not going to see many players make moves. You're just not. Because I think scouts understand this tournament and see the tournament for what it was. And if anything... I, I got to say this, and this is, you know, uh, hopefully you're, you know, hopefully the group is still with me here. Hopefully listeners are still listening to this thing because I did kind of want to make a point here on the American team because I know the comeback from me- Mexican fans is always going to be, well, the U.S. didn't even qualify. So what do you like? You can't even talk. All well and good. 
We've already gotten, we've already (laughs) laid out why that happened. But here's what's interesting, and I don't know if anyone's has said this or thought this, but it's something that dawned on me this week. The U.S. not qualifying for the Olympics. I think it was a blessing in disguise. I want to say this because, and here's why. Number one, U.S. was never sending a full strength team to the Olympics. Get that out of your head right off the bat. Because I know back in March, back in Olympic qualifying, people were already going crazy and, and speculating on, oh, Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna and these guys. They'd go to the Olympics. It'd be great. Wasn't going to happen. Teams weren't going to let that happen. Period. So if you weren't going to be able to bring your full strength players to the Olympics, who are you bringing? You're bringing some, quite a few of the same players who just won the Gold Cup, and they would not have been at the Gold Cup. And you can definitely say there's something to, to be said for the fact that if the U.S. had qualified for the Olympics, it would have been more opportunities for more players in the pool. Because then you, you, know, you would have sent some of the Gold Cup players to the Olympics, and then you would have had other players get the chance to step into the Gold Cup team. That's true. That's true. But if you have to split those players, if James Sands is in Tokyo, if Miles Robinson is in Tokyo, if Busio is in Tokyo, Sam Vines is in Tokyo, Daryl DK is in Tokyo, George Bellows in Tokyo, does this Gold Cup team win the Gold Cup? I don't, I don't know about that one, Chief. I, t- I mean, no Sands and no Robinson right off the bat. Just start with those two. So that, you know, that that's an interesting one. I know, and I know some people the, 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 right away, some said, well, may, well, maybe the U.S. could have won an Olympic medal. I don't know. I got to say, I don't know about that one. But we'll never know. But my point, my point to it is that that, that was this, this is the silver lining, but I, that I think is just easy to kind of completely forget is once the U.S. doesn't make the Olympics, and I'm not advocating for it, it was a great thing that it happened. But my point more is that the unintended benefit is that it actually helped pave the way for the Gold Cup win. I think I honestly believe that because you know, you know if you have the, it would have been better to have the Olympics. Yes, like if you're asking me if I had a magic, you know, if I had a you know magic wish and I could change things around and have the U.S. be in the Olympics, would I do that? Yes. It would have been good, but the unintended, the unintended benefit is it allowed Greg Berhalter to focus all the energies on building the Gold Cup team, and he needed that because you ended up seeing quite a few players who ended up not being able to be a part of the Olympic, of of the Gold Cup, and I I, <laughs> I definitely wear you know you kind of it, it starts to mess with your head a little bit when you start thinking well, well then what would have the Olympic team look like what would have these Olympic and Gold Cup teams look like. How would the roster split up had been? How would it have been? Who would have been the center backs on the Gold Cup team if those guys weren't there? You could drive yourself crazy on it. I, I might have to sit down at some point and kind of play it out, right? But we'll never know. But the, the whole point I even brought it up is just the fact that as much as some people went crazy over the whole Olympic fiasco, and it's still bad that the Olympics, that the U.S. didn't qualify for the Olympics. It's bad. You don't want to have it happen. You don't. The U.S. should have qualified Jason, and it's on Jason Christ when it comes down to it. Jason Christ, he coached the team. He picked the team. Clearly, he he clearly he clearly didn't pick the, the, the best options he could have picked. 
Gianluca Busio was not part of the setup. I remember asking Jason Christ about Gianluca Busio before the Olympic qualifying tournament. And his answers were kind of like, you know, it wasn't, he didn't give a great explanation for that. Eric Williamson should have been part of the Olympic qualifying setup. James Sands should have been part of the Olympic qualifying setup. But yet, you know, we're going to go with this story that, oh, you know, injuries. and No, I'm not buying it. You should have had those guys on that team, period. If you have Williamson, Busio, Sands. Now, with Miles Robinson, I get it. Atlanta did not release him. They didn't release, I don't think, I don't know if Bella was also included, but Brooks Lennon was definitely in that, in that, in that conversation. I get it with the Atlanta guys because Atlanta didn't release their players. And it's, but as far as we know, they're the, you know, it hasn't come out that, that new NYCFC didn't release James Sands. So until we hear that, you have to, like, that's still a pretty crappy excuse for not having James Sands on the other qualified team. So I've kind of gotten down this whole rabbit hole, but back to the original point. As bad as it was, and as much as every you know, rightfully you know the U.S. U.S. soccer got criticism for U.S. not qualifying for the Olympics. It, it there ended up being the silver lining in it that no one thought about at the time because by not having a team in the Olympics, that helped the U.S. have a better team for the Gold Cup, and they have a trophy now to show for it. Moving on, last topic to discuss is MLS, and there's tons to get into in MLS. We have trades. We have signings. We have a quote unquote firing slash parting of ways. And then we have a busy, busy weekend to, to get into in terms of some, some moves. Uh, we're going to get into some of the, the signings and trades and whatnot have first. And we're going to start off with Jeremy Ebobese traded to the San Jose Earthquakes. And that one's not a shocker, to be honest, because when it came down to it, Portland had had a surplus of strikers. So always kind of, it always seemed kind of inev- inevitable that Ebobese would move. And he goes to a San Jose team that absolutely needs some depth at striker, and they need they needed more striker options. So I like that trade for both teams. The real question is, how will Ibobasi and Matias Almeida, how will they click? Because it can, for me, I don't think there's any in-between. I think it's going to either be amazing, and Almeida just makes it work and click it with Ibobasi and he just puts Ibobasi in the good spots, puts him in the right frame of mind and makes and helps Ibobasi become one of the best strikers in MLS. Or they're going to clash. Strong personalities. Ibobasi's got a strong personality. We know Almeida has a strong personality. They don't hit they don't hit it off, they don't get along and it doesn't last. And they're not and one of them is not there by 2022. It's going to be one of those two. Which do I think it'll be? I think it's going to work out. I think Almeida is. I think Almeida is a good coach. I think he knows how to work with players. I think Ibobasi is going to appreciate him and appreciate the type of coach that he is. And I think it's going to click. Is that going to be enough to help San Jose become a real force? Mm, that's still there's still a lot of questions in San Jose. It's not going to take. It's going to take more than one player to turn things around in San Jose, but. I think it is going to be good for Ibobasi. And I think that is going to work. But it bears watching because it's going to it's going to be one or the other. It's going to be it's going to be great or it's going to be a train wreck. So keep an eye out for that one. Another player on the move, Ike Opara. In Minnesota, have parted ways. Minnesota United bought out Ike Opara's contract. He's been out for mo- he's been out all year. 
uh, with injury situations, uh, you know, I think he's obviously had some concussion related issues and there's real, there's been questions about, you know, will he play again? My understanding is that he isn't retiring. He isn't necessarily retiring that he could end up playing somewhere. And I tell you what, if you're a team that needs a, def- a center back, you absolutely go and bring Ike Opara in and see what he has and see what he can give you. Because if he, if Ike Opara could be anywhere near where he was before he had these issues, these these physical issues, you're getting a top All Star level defender, top All Star level level center back, one of the better, one of the best center backs in the league. Obviously, there's no there's no you know there's no assurance he will be at that same level. But if he could be anywhere close to that, I mean, you're talking about finding a gold mine. So, I mean, and the team that comes to mind right off the bat for me that kind of needs center backs is LAFC. LAFC just lost Eddie Segura for the season, torn ACL. Now, they've traded for Sebastian Ibiaga. And Ibiaga is a solid center back, no question. I like him. He's played for NYCFC. He's been around for a good while now. He's a solid Solid player. But I tell you what, Opara, anywhere close to his best, is still an elite level player. You try to get him. But we'll see. who We'll see who ends up trying to uh, lure him and who Opara is in, would be interested in playing for. Because obviously you, you kind of wonder what Opara's situation is in terms of where his head's at, what he wants to do. Does he still want to play? Where does he want to play? What part of the country does he want to play? His, you know what? Now it's he. If he's free, he can go where he wants. And I know not everyone's going to be ready to take a chance on a player who's got. There's some question. There's obviously some physical question marks there, but he could. End, you're talking about. You could end up. It could be a lot. You could find a winning lottery ticket basically if if Opara can come anywhere near close to where he was before he had these issues. We'll just rattle off some some of the other signings. Uh, Atlanta United signed Luis Araujo from Lille. No relation to Julian Araujo. Uh, that's a big signing, obviously, from uh, for Atlanta United. And I know I said, I feel like it was last episode where I said, yeah, you know, this year's kind of a wash. I don't really see them making the moves they need to, to really turn this team into a playoff team. I wouldn't say my opinion has changed, but I think that's a it, it's a good sign to see Atlanta make this kind of move because it's clear they have not given up on the season. And you wouldn't expect them to either because you're talking about a a team that has such lofty aspirations that they aren't going to pack the season in in August. Uh, So Araujo, good signing for them. The Chicago Fire signed Federico Navarro, good defensive midfield player there for them. Chicago Fire is an interesting one, right? Because, look, their record's terrible. Their record's pretty bad. But... They at at home especially, I feel like they they give everybody trouble. I mean, very good teams they give them trouble. And when they're on, when the fire's clicking and playing well, they can play with anyone in the league. Consistency continues to be an issue for them. And as I've said many times before, Francisco Calvo, the guy's a liability. When he's on, when he's playing well. He's elite. He is top, like a good, he's a very, very, very good defender when he's when he's on. But I feel like every single game, this guy's good for three or four just brain farts, just costly mistakes. And at a certain point, it's kind of like, man, is it worth the other 85 minutes of good, good, good play when you got to worry about those five minutes where he's going to just blow the game? And again, I'm not putting the fire's bad record on him only. 
It's just an observation of mine on that one. But hey, we'll see what Navarro can do for them. The Fire is a team, a sneaky team that I think maybe could really have a strong close to this season. That that's one that I think people should definitely keep an eye out for. Seattle Sounders with a pair of acquisitions: Brazilian Leo Chu and Frenchman Nicolas Benazet. Uh, definitely adding some attacking depth for them. They needed it. They needed to go add some pieces, and they're they absolutely still are in that elite. MLS Cup contender upper tier. They are in the penthouse along with a New England sporting KC. And these signings absolutely help. We'll see. We'll see. actually, you know, the, the jury's still out, right? We haven't seen Leo Chu. We'll see how he adapts to MLS. But you, you like to see Seattle kind of be aggressive and really add some some formidable pieces. And look, if if, if Leo Chu pans out anywhere close to the last Brazilian Seattle signed, uh, Paolo. That'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty good for them. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how they do. Uh, another signing, Dejan Jovelzik. 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 <laughs> from the L- uh, LA Galaxy from Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, good signing there. They need to add more attacking pieces, obviously. Um, Gray Vanny's got a pretty good selection there now. When you talk about depth, when you talk about having some options, they needed another striker. They, or they needed another attacking player for their front three, and I think he helps them for sure in that regard. And those are, those are the signings that uh, kind of stand out for me. I mean, those aren't the only signings. I'm sure I've forgotten a few. I'll get into the ones I missed next episode, but those are the ones to remember. In terms of addition by subtraction, in terms of player people leaving, the FC Cincinnati and general manager Gerard Nijkamp have parted ways. And no one at all should be surprised by that because Nijkamp or Nijkamp however you pronounce it, he was obviously brought in to help clean up the disaster, clean up the mess of that expansion roster that they put together. And has, and he's done okay, but not great. They're not winning. They're still kind of just one of the bad teams in MLS. And I've, I feel like I've said this before, and I'll say it again. At one point, is it going to stop being about the GMs, the coaches, and when is it going to start being about who's above them? I feel like Jeff Birding, team president, is, is that his title now? I feel like he gets a pass, and he he's not, he doesn't do a great job there. My from my understanding, from what people I talk to, and having an understanding of his role in things over the years, this guy does not help things. But he gets no criticism. No one points to him and say, "Hey, is he? Does he need to do better? Do we need to keep him out of the soccer decisions?" That's one that for me is a little bit of a head scratcher, but it makes sense, right? Because he's part of the ownership group. He's a little tef- he's Teflon in that sense, right? But sometimes you can have those situations where a new team has someone like this who's in a position where obviously they have the cachet of being part of the of the drive to bring the team to the town. But then you, you then you realize they are actually making it tough for the team to be successful once they're there. We've seen this before. Philadelphia Union, Nick Sakevich, prime example. Sakevich brought the union, helped bring the union to Philadelphia. He gets tons of credit for that. He should get tons of credit for that. But guess what? Once he was there, once he was in charge, he ran them into the ground. They were terrible, and he was a big reason why. Jeff Birding is pretty much Nick Sakevich 2.0. By all accounts, by my, from everything I hear and everything I've, you know, talking to people over the years, people I've, I've known for a long time and trust, 
This guy doesn't help. So maybe until he's gone, maybe until he's completely out of the picture, you're going to see FC Cincinnati struggle. I mean, I, that, that's the sense you get. But we'll see what they do. We'll see who, who their next hire is, and we'll see who their next head coaching hire is if Yap Stom decides to leave. Because you just feel like everything's real unsettled there. And they just still feels like they're super far away from being a legitimate team, from being a, a team that you could take seriously. And yes, I get it. They have a great stadium. USA Mexico is going to be there. But if you're an FC Cincinnati fan, you got to ask yourself, like, if, if why, that's, the, that's the only thing we have to look forward to? Because this team is still not it. It's to, as much as they're more competitive now, they're not getting just completely embarrassed week to week. They're still not winning. So we'll see. We'll see who they hire. We'll see who replaces in these camp. But if it doesn't turn around, if at the end of this season, things are still looking so completely like hopeless, the big owners, the big bosses, somebody in Cincinnati has to start asking some real questions about Jeff Birding. That's what it comes down to. My opinion, anyway. And now we'll get into the MLS slate for this weekend. And if you're listening to this, it's probably, you know, probably early afternoon. There's no day games this Saturday. So hopefully you'll have time to go and make some bets because I'm going to give you some picks. Take them or leave them. But we've got SC Cincinnati, Orlando. Orlando coming off a win. They're going up to Cincy. They should beat Cincy, but... Who knows? If Cincinnati, maybe Cincinnati responds to the niche camp departure and says, ah, he's gone. We'll win now. Doubt it. Columbus crew, Atlanta. Columbus has obviously been in a real rough, rough stretch in terms of results. They, they just lost last week big to DC United at home. How do they respond? They're taking on an Atlanta team that will be without Joseph Martinez, who's serving a red card suspension. And that's probably part of the reason why Atlanta is a big, big underdog in this one. Um, I think the crew's going to win this one, not only because Joseph Martinez is out, but just, you know what, they're at home. I don't see them losing two in a row at home, or another one at home. Minnesota, Houston, at Minnesota. I'm going to go Minnesota on that one. Take that, even though they're the big favorite. And the big the big dog alert for me, Toronto FC plus 270 against NYCFC. Toronto FC at home in Toronto against NYCFC. And now NYCFC has been playing very well. Their most recent 0-0 draw in Chicago aside, they've been playing very well. But Toronto to be plus 270 at home, I mean, they're a good team. I think they deserve a little more respect there. And I'm actually going to go with Toronto in this one just because that's a great number. And if you're looking for a good price, Toronto at home plus 270, absolutely take that. Next, we have Dallas, Austin, another. There's been, I feel like every every time you turn around, there's a there's another Texas Derby. Dallas, Austin should be a fun one. Dallas is at home, but they're only plus 115. That's to me, feels a little, uh, Dallas deserves a little more respect than that. I'm going to go Dallas. Ricardo Pepe, one thing he does is score goals at home. I think he's going to score. Take Dallas, take the plus 115. You got Rapids at home. Now, Rapids Sporting KC is an interesting one, right? Sporting KC needs to get a little more respect from the bookies. Uh, the bookies, what are we, in the 40s? Uh, <laughs> Sporting KC needs to get more respect from the the betting odds and the sports lines because they they went to LAFC at midweek, and they were like plus 300. And I know LAFC is a good team, tough at home, but I thought that was a crazy price. Not only did KC win, they smoked LAFC. 
So here we are, uh, Sporting KC, again, underdog, plus 200. And now Colorado is a good team. And playing at altitude in Colorado is not easy. So I understand why Sporting KC is the underdog. But that's an interesting one. Sporting KC plus 200 feels like a generous price. If you're looking for underdog picks, Sporting KC plus 200 is pretty decent. Although Rapids at plus 1215 is all right. I'd probably stay away from that game just because I think that game could go absolutely either way. That would not be on my list of eight games you should absolutely bet on. But anyway, Timbers, RSL. Timbers minus 120. RSL is an interesting team. They They... they they can beat anyone on the day, but I'm going to go Timbers. They're at home, minus 120. I know they didn't win their last time out at home, but I think they're due. They're going to get this win. Minus 120 is not the greatest price, but take them. I think they're going to win. Sunday, Chicago Fire at home to the Red Bulls. Chicago Fire plus 130. Underdog at home. Actually, no, there's slight favorites, but it's not a great price. Red Bulls, terrible. at ter- the, the Red Bulls are pretty terrible on the road. They just don't get results on the road. The Fire have looked really good at home. I'm going fire. I like the fire plus 130. That's a good price. Give me the fire. New England Revolution, Philadelphia Union, the game of the weekend in New England. The Revs are minus 110. And look, give the Union respect. They're a good team. Andre Blake, he can always make things happen. The Union, one of the better teams in the league. So this one, Union at plus 270. That's an interesting one. That's an enticing price, but the Revs at home, I have to go with the Revs at home. With it, you have to think they'll have the full squad back. I know they. I know Carlos Gill didn't play the, the midweek game. You got to think he'll be there. You got to think Buchanan will be in the starting lineup. Give me the Revs minus 110. In San Jose, San Jose LAFC, San Jose plus 260 at home. And look, look, we know San Jose is not a great team, right? But a few things to consider. LAFC, they're a mess right now defensively. Eddie Segura out for the season. Uh, Mario. Uh, missed the game at midweek with a hamstring injury. Does he play? Does he not play? This is one you're going to want to see what the starting lineups are before you place your bet. If you place a bet, San Jose at two plus six as San Jose at plus two sixty. That's an appealing pick, and I want to see the lineups. If the lineups come out and Embobisi's in your starting lineup, Mario's not in LFC starting lineup. Absolutely run to put some money down on plus two sixty San Jose. In D.C., D.C. United, Montreal, D.C. minus 125. How about D.C. United getting some respect now after sm- smacking the crew last in their last game out? Obviously, I'm going to go D.C. at home. No disrespect to Montreal, but D.C. at home, even though, my, even though minus 125, not the greatest price in the world, but I'm going to go D.C. And then you have L.A. Galaxy at home against Vancouver, who's the biggest dog of the weekend at plus 400. I'm going to go L.A. Galaxy Minus 175. Again, not a great price if you're only looking to bet a few games. And for anyone who bets, the one thing you don't want to do with MLS is bet all the games. Because MLS is just so unpredictable. It's it's like the worst It's the worst league to bet on, right? But if you're going to bet, pick a couple of games. Pick two or three games that you like the most. Because the more games you bet, the more chances are you're going to lose your money. So Galaxy minus 125, not a great price. But I'm, I think the Galaxy are going to roll. Over the white caps. And I think that's it. I think we've covered everything there is to cover. Uh, probably more than I thought we were going to cover, get into. But, uh, you know, for sure, we'll get things rolling back into a normal schedule. Monday show. And I'm going to I'm gonna shoot for a Thursday, Thursday late, Friday morning, morning drop show. That's the ideal goal for me. Let me know if, uh, if you like that idea. Definitely in the comment section on SBI. Let me know what would be what would make more sense: dropping it Thursday night or dropping it Friday morning. I think Friday morning is what would be ideal. I know a lot of people have said, "Oh, they want you know 
by midday Friday, they've checked out. They're thinking about the weekend. So, yeah, I'm going to shoot for Friday morning drop and definitely Monday. Uh, you know, in an ideal world, I'm recording Sunday night. Get it out there Monday morning to start your, your week. So that's going to be what I'm shooting for for sure sometime on Monday. I don't want to make people wait to to hear the reactions of the weekend. So I'm going to shoot for Monday. So listen out for the next episodes on, on Monday. And I think that's it. I think I've touched on everything. Uh, and obviously, if you read SBI, you know I've made the formal announcement about changes at SBI. It will just be me now. And, uh, you know, definitely, I, I definitely want to thank all of my staff writers at SBI who, who did a great job for me. And I know they're going to do really well with whatever's next. Um, but now it's on me. Now I got to bring it. I got to bring the I got to bring the noise. I got to start uh, cranking out the articles, the interviews, the features, the breaking news. I got to do it. I got to bring it all and I'm going to do it. I'm looking forward to it. Come Monday, I'm going to start bringing the heat. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Make sure you keep reading SBI and keep listening to the SBI show. Let me know in the comment section what you like, what you don't like. Should I go shorter shows? I'm thinking maybe 30-minute shows and try to push for three a week. That's another idea. Let me know if you like that or let me know if you like 45 minutes to an hour twice a week. Which one would you rather have? That would definitely help me to kind of game plan going forward. So that's all for now. Definitely thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. As always, I'm Ivis Glarsa. This is The SBI Show.